Welcome to Wind Down with Kev, a weekly podcast with Kevin Spann, the insurance guru. Each week, listen to Kevin discuss current hot topics with community leaders, business owners, and more. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you. Oh, Lord. Trying to rush home to get here. (laughs) No, didn't, didn't want you to rush at all. I know you're a busy woman, busy person. I know you have a lot on your plate. You had a full day today? I sure did. Beautiful. Before we start anything, I got to ask you, this is Wind Down with Kev. It's the first episode. I have to ask you, did you have time to grab a glass? Are you looking? Beautiful. I got it. I got it. I got to turn my phone off so we're not disturbed. So talk to me. Before we say anything else, what's in your glass? Um, well, we are on... Uh, public TV, so I can't say the full name of it, but it's okay. Sweet B Rose Moscato. I got it. I got it. I recognize the brand. You enjoy there it. There you go. You enjoy That's it. all I drink. Very cheap. It's 6% alcohol, but it gives me enough to kind of get through the night. Just just to break the edge. That's all it's about. We're not doing anything uh, crazy. So you got some Sweet B Moscato. Okay. Yes. I'm drinking a little bit of uh, Snoqualmie uh, Riesling. Okay. Nice little, uh, nice little white sweet wine. Uh, you de- you definitely have a different palate than I do. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, well, Moscato's a sweet wine. Moscato's pretty good. Yes, but you, at least you went to a Riesling, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I don't know much about wine to be a hundred percent honest. So I don't do know I. if there's uh, there's levels. I do know it does. It takes the edge off of my day with all that exactly. I do. And, and that's uh, what we it need. does its job, and I'm happy for it. I'm far from an aficionado of it. So um, welcome. Thank you so much for being my first guest. I Thank you. I me. feel so honored. No, absolutely. I had to choose you as my guest because I'm watching all the wonderful work that you're doing um, with everything that's going on. So I wanted to jump right in and have you as my guest. So we're going to start right away. Uh, I'm going to tell the people who I am, and then I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself and do sip. We're going to sip. We're going to toast. We're going to have some fun and have a real good conversation. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Kevin Spann, uh, owner-operator Abraham Kevin Spann and Sons Insurance Agency, Allstate Insurance Agency, uh, aka Kevin Spann, the insurance guru. Um, But tonight is not about me. Tonight is about my guest. Uh, We have the wonderful, uh, hardest working woman out there, Mrs. (laughs) Vanessa Beard Streeter. Vanessa, please tell the people about yourself. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, Yes, as he said, I am Vanessa Baird-Streeter. I am uh, the Deputy County Executive for Community Recovery. Actually, that's a new appointment within the midst of the COVID pandemic. Um, I'm also the Executive Director of the Vanette's Cultural Workshop, which is a, a performing arts organization that's been in the community for 52 years in the Wyandanche community. And I also am the owner of VBS Hair Collection. That's a new endeavor of mine over the past two and a half, three years, and I love it. Um, So those are the couple of hats that I wear. I'm also a wife to Elston Streeter and the mother of Dallas Anthony Streeter. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm so glad that you worked all five of your titles in. Uh, I was Facebook stalking you today to prepare for the interview, and I'm like, where do you begin? Uh, Wife, mother, director? the charitable side of yourself or the entrepreneurial side of yourself. So it's interesting that you got it all in without uh, 
me prompting you at all. That, that is awesome. Um, we're going to touch upon all of those topics. We're going to touch upon um, all of the hats that you wear. And we're also going to touch upon winding down because um, I saw one of your friends commented that you have like 10 jobs. You just rolled off five off the top of your head. So um, after you do all the things you do, how do you wind down? Okay, so first of all, my father's from Barbados, so I am West Indian. So you do know that West Indians got 13 jobs and they keep working, right? Oh, no, listen. You know. <laughs> that's a good thing. So that's just how that goes. And, 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 you know, I saw the role models in my parents. So that's why, you know, there are just certain things that you have to do, certain things that you're required to do, certain things that you have to do. So, and my wind down really is, is to come home. My wind down really, you know, outside of the COVID pandemic, my wind down really is a lot of dealing with students. Like I love dealing with the children of the Nets Culture Workshop. Okay. I could be having the worst day in the world. Right? Okay. I'll go to teach my babies, which I teach on Fridays. Okay. And I could be in the worst mood. And then I'll say something like, does anybody have a question? And they'll be like, why do you have a mustache? <laughs> <laughs> And everything goes because away, right? Just relieve all of the stress that you might have been experiencing that day because it's because of their innocence, right? Their Absolutely. innocence, their candor, their honesty. So that's my wind down outside of the COVID pandemic. But since I've been working ridiculous hours under the auspice of the COVID pandemic, when I come home, my wind down really is to, of course, have my sweet bee. There you go. And um, I also am addicted to the good wife. I the good love wife. show the good wife. Okay, okay, talk to me about The Good Wife. I don't think I'm familiar. So The Good Wife is um, about uh, a woman who is an attorney. However, she took a sabbatical to raise her family. Um, she's returning back into um, the law world. Okay. Um, and her husband is uh, the state state's attorney who went through some transgressions and then he went to jail and so forth and so on so i really do believe in my next lifetime i probably will be an attorney because i love i love shows that are highlighting attorneys and the law practice and i love the law absolutely right? so um but i love the good wife and that's a way that i wind down every single night and i literally am watching i'm probably watching the fourth iteration of all of the seasons wow. and it's still new to me it's, it's about uh, eight or nine seasons. I think I'm familiar with it. It's been around HBO? Yes. Okay. Yes. Awesome. That's yes. a good thing. There's nothing like a good glass of wine. There's nothing like a good show that you can wind down to. Um, I've been uh, binge watching a lot of Netflix, so that's been helpful okay. to me. My normal wind down is watching sports until sports watches me. Okay. So with the pandemic, that's been taken away. So People have been introducing me to a lot, introducing me to a lot of things on Netflix. Um, okay. I fell in love with the Ozarks. That was a series that captured my attention for about okay. a week. But binge watching is like reading a book. You enjoy right. it, and then when it's over, you hate the fact that you finished it because you definitely want you definitely want a little bit more. Exactly. I hear uh, you. You know, so it's definitely definitely different. But that is a good way to wind down. So Friday night, you actually are the teacher of the class. Um, I have so many friends that have been a part of um, the Nets Cultural Workshop mm -hmm. since the beginning. Uh, I have friends and family that say your dance class on Saturday, they live by it, they swear by it. Yeah. Uh, your retention has to be a thousand percent because nobody ever has any plans of uh, I'm stopping, I'm laughing, I'm thinking about uh, my good friend uh, Debbie Joseph who mm -hmm. 
kept dancing through yes. injuries and everything else. She just kept going and she kept going. That's for sure. That's for sure. It's a real strong bond. It's a strong network that we have. I'm so, I'm so grateful and blessed for my parents to have created it. So, you know, everybody thinks about Mary Baird starting mm -hmm. the Vinette's Culture Workshop, but it was really, you know, she started it in her, in our garage, but it was really my father who actually went out to figure out where we could reside. And he was the one who forged a relationship with Our Lady of Miraculous Middle Church, and that was Father Hull at the time. So while everybody talks about my mom, my dad was really at the foundation of ensuring that the Vinettes had a home um, to be able to instill the arts in um, the youth of our community. Absolutely. Great philosopher Rob Bass said, it takes two to make a thing go right. That's right. It definitely takes two to make a thing go right. I remember that history. Um, you guys started out dancing in the parish hall. I yes. played over there as a young man. I would pick apples out of the tree. There was a bus that was in the back of the parking lot. We climb on that and we pick apples and we just have a good time. Good. That's nice. So let's let's fast forward to the present. Um, you are in your uh, job capacity as the director in Suffolk County. You are one of the leaders in communicating information regarding the pandemic. So I want to go yeah. back and forth. Tell me what your job entailed before the world ended. And that's how I refer to life before the okay. uh, pandemic. And how did it change and when did it change into this leadership role of communicating with everyone and helping everyone navigate everything that we have to do to get through this uh, pandemic? So I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's really changed, right? Like I was an assistant deputy county executive and now I'm a deputy county executive. So pretty much most of the things that fall under my auspice currently fell under my auspice prior to COVID. Okay. So, um, and that was really, I was focused on the census because the census is really extremely important for our communities. Yes. People do not understand what census data determines as it pertains to funding. So when we talk about our school district and particularly in the Wyandanche school district, in 2010, we had a 50, I think it was a 54% response rate. Oh my God. Meaning, 48% of the money that could we could have been eligible for is left on the table. And that's Title I, Title III funding, that's free and reduced school lunch funding, that's special education funding, and that was left on the table. So that was one of my, for the last year, that has been one of my major pushes and major initiatives is really to educate people as it pertains to the census. Okay. But in addition to that, I have community-based intervention that falls under my auspice. So that's really of the community resource centers that we have set up throughout the county. We have four, um, one in Wyandanche, which you're probably familiar with. Very familiar with. We have one in Central Islip. So in Wyandanche, we partner with the town on that community-based, um, that community resource center. In Central, in Brentwood, we um, partner with Adelante okay. um, in Brentwood. Um, in Huntington, we partner with the town as well. And then we also partner with BHAP, um, uh, the Bellport-Hageman um, Alliance in Bellport. And really community-based intervention is figuring out how do we bring resources to communities? You know, it's different. You go to the county for this, you go to the county for that, but we realize that our transportation infrastructure, if you don't have a car, it's very difficult to traverse the county. Absolutely. So bringing resources into communities is really important. So whether it is the Department of Social Services or whether it's um, our labor department helping you with writing resumes, job placement, looking for job careers, those were really important. And, and really an ideology of the county executive 
to bring resources into communities to ensure that people had access. Because really at the end of the day, it is all about access. So 100%, um, I can remember when I first got involved with Blind Edge Day, 2014-2015, at that time, uh, my first job was a community liaison to see what resources were available for people in the community. Right. And I, I went to a number of meetings. I was pleasantly surprised with all the housing, all the employment, all the things that was available. So right. when I put that on with my wine dance day hat, I said, okay, my job is to get the people to come to the park and then get to all the resource departments to come and set up as vendor booths so they can Correct. talk to the people and educate them. So after the celebration is over, people can take advantage of what they really need which is tapping into all of those resources. Absolutely. So, so I definitely understand how the segue went. That was already your job to communicate, communicate in all these key, right. key communities throughout the county. And then COVID-19 happens and everything changes. Talk to me how your world changed when, um, tell me dates, tell me times, just tell me what the transition was for you. Sure. So, you know, realize that before I had the previous position I had, I was also the director of communications for the county. Absolutely. So communications is under my belt. I was, and then prior to the county, I was the executive director of communications at LIPA. And then prior to that, I was the director of the communications at the town of Babylon. So communications wow. is at my core, even though that is not what I went to school for. I, went I to think school we had finance. that conversation. Which <laughs> yes. Finance is your degree, but you find yourself in the world of communication. Well, Correct. Well, I have to tell a quick story about that. Please, please. So um, finance is my background. I worked in investment banking. I worked for Goldman Sachs for two years. I served as a bond trader for seven years with KLS Professional Advisors. And then the pastor of my church, who um, we were still operating out of Parish Hall, he says to me, Vanessa, I think you should you know, apply for this job as the director of the Ministry to Catholics of African Ancestry, because I'm Catholic by faith. And I'm like, really? I I think the average age of the people that work there are like 55, right? And he goes, no, it's the same thing that you're doing with the kids here. They need that on the diocesan level. So you should really consider it. So to be honest with you, it was a major pay cut. I can imagine. But I felt like, well, the Lord is calling. Yes. So how do I tell the Lord no? Yes. So I said, okay, I'll take it. And I'll be honest with you, probably for about five or six years, I really didn't feel the differential in finances. So that really, to me, tell, really to me ensures that the Lord was leading guiding steps and making sure that everything was going to work out. Absolutely. So as I was in that job for about seven years, and I, I would do a couple of different shows for Long Island Care. Um, uh, what is it called? The Catholic um, organization had a radio, uh, a television station. So I did a couple of different shows for them, probably like 25 shows over the seven year period. And I said to myself, I was praying one day and I said, Lord, I think I really want to go into communications, but I don't know how to segue into communications from what I'm currently doing. Okay. So I prayed on it. And this was literally April of 2005. Okay. I go then to meet with then town supervisor, Steve Ballone in June of 2005. Okay. And I'm going to talk to him about the next culture workshop and trying to see if there's any way that we can get access to a building or is there land so we can have a permanent home. So we probably have about a, a, an hour and a half meeting. And the next day I get a call asking me if I would like to be the director of communications for the town of Babylon. Nice. nice. And I'm like, wait. So literally I looked up, I'm like, you awesome like that? Like I just <laughs> put it up there and yes. you came through. Yes. 
So they call they call that making your request known and making exactly. it crystal clear and it comes exactly. to the past. So let's toast exactly. to that story. We'll toast to that story. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> you you work with the wonderful man Steve Ballone that I know uh, very very well. So um, it's good. So it's fifteen years you guys are working together. Correct. Correct. Okay. And. You know, um, so then when I came to the county, I came as director of communications. I did that for about six years. And then he's like, Vanessa, I really want you to focus on, you know, communities. I want you to focus on community-based intervention. You know, I want you to start looking at uh, other initiatives that we can possibly put, put into play. So when the, you know, coronavirus hit us, I realized that while our communications department is responsible for ensuring county executive alone is communicating. I had, I just took it on. So nobody asked me to take it on. I took on the responsibility for making sure, well, that's not true. They did say, Vanessa, you're responsible for all the front facing messaging. So all of the people that are talking to the public, we, you know, we trust you to have all of that information and to be able to call that information, look at various resources that are available to ensure the public has access. And that's really through our 311 call center. Awesome. But once I was creating those, I'm like, but wait a minute, everybody's not calling 311. So how do I get this information out to make sure that everybody has access, they know what's going on, if it has to do with unemployment insurance, if it has to do with mental health resources, if it has to do with anything that's related to the coronavirus, I gotta make sure that I'm doing something. So literally, on March 18th, I was like, no, March 16th, I was like, okay, I'm gonna start creating posts and making sure people have access. And then on March 18th, I'm like, okay, but Vanessa, you got to make sure that everybody has access. So people that speak other languages, you got to make sure you're doing the translation and making sure that you're getting the information out. So it really kind of just, um, it kind of developed to ensure that I was making sure, and I just took it upon myself to make sure that the information was getting out to communities. The county executive can communicate to the media, but not everybody is reading Newsday, not everybody's watching News 12. Everybody is not necessarily looking at the media outlets, but social media is one way that we can ensure that that message spreads far and wide. And then I started talking to like community-based organizations and tagging them and, and reaching out to them and saying, please make sure you share these posts so people have access to information. Because like I, at the end of the day, access is just so important. It, it's everything and it's, it was becoming important for a while but the pandemic really um the digital world took over those that have access to the digital world can function well um, because you have social media you have the internet you have access to zoom um, if you're outside of the digital world then then it's much harder but i've been enjoying reading your messages you touched upon all the key things that people went through mental health key. I think everybody has a little bit of COVID-19 anxiety. You may not have tested positive for COVID-19. You may not have the antibodies, but everybody has a different level of anxiety associated with what's already happened and what's, um, what's yet to come. Uh, you've been addressing unemployment. I've seen you with the food pantries out there feeding people. And also in the midst, you're putting information out there about some great, very nice paying jobs. Um, talk to me about the jobs. How is that going? What have your... Uh, are you getting enough applicants for the job? Are people responding? Yeah, so there's two components with the jobs. The first was, um, and that was recent, that in order for us to reopen, meaning order for us to Suffolk County and Nassau County as a region to reopen, 
you have to have a process in place to be able to contact trace. And basically yes. what contact tracing is, is that if you happen to come down with COVID, we're going to call you. So we are doing index. We were doing initially, we initially were engaged in contact tracing until the numbers became so large that you could not then continue to communicate with the people who you said you come in contact with two days before you actually had symptoms Got because it. that was going to be when you could be shedding the virus. And then through the time frame that you had actual symptoms that came to fruition. So we were doing index tracing. Contact tracing is important because in order to slow the spread and stem the tide, if you are diagnosed with COVID, then I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to ask you, who did you come in contact with two days prior and then up until this point that I'm contacting you? And then that might be 20 people. But then those 20 people, we have to reach out to as well to inform that you've come into contact with someone who is COVID positive. We don't tell them who, because that's HIPAA violation. We don't tell them who. And then we say, listen, in the abundance of caution, you would need to quarantine for 14 days. The person who actually is COVID positive has to also isolate as well. So that um, is an initiative that Bloomberg actually came in and he provided about $10 million of funding on the state level. To create the platforms, the data platforms that are needed, as well as to support the jobs, uh, the hiring of individuals to engage in the three different types of um, contact tracers, which are people who are contact tracing, then it's the lead supervisor who has 20 contact tracers under their auspice, and then it's the community support specialist who has the resources to be able to provide to the the person who is contact tracing in case somebody says they need access to food or they need access to mental um, health resources. So that's actually going well. Like the state is hiring. We've had, um, we've had people within county government get certified in contact tracing, and then the state is also hiring as well. So that's going well. However, one of the most important things that I put out probably last week is our virtual job board. Okay. So the county created a virtual job board. Okay. With now you don't just have to go to Indeed, sign up for Indeed, sign up for Monster, sign up for this. You can go to the Suffolk County Job Board and it basically will give you jobs within your zip code or that'll in a 25 mile radius or a 50 mile radius of your zip code. But that's really important because we do know that one of the outcomes of this pandemic is that there is high unemployment. I think our unemployment rate for April for Suffolk County was 16.4%. Wow. And in March, it was 3.6%. Oh my God. And we have no idea who's going to hire back and, who, Correct. <clears throat> and who's not. Sure that we had that virtual job board was really important as well. That's massive. As an employer myself, um, my transition, you talked about March 16th. That was actually my birthday. Mm-hmm. That's the day that I went in and I shut my office down. And on St. Patty's Day, March 17th, right. we started working remotely and we've been working remotely ever since. And now we're going to navigate back in. But let me come back to something that you said. You talked about the contract contact traces job. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the human element of someone making that call and saying, hey, Vanessa, we're calling you because you've been in contact with someone that's positive for COVID-19. How's the human element of that been for the uh, contract contact trace? So, you know, we just started engaging in contact tracing within the last couple of days. And, you know, when you can't tell the person, so that's, you know, that's a, that's a cause of alarm for some individuals, you know, and I'll, I have to go back for one second. So we had a member of our senior staff in Suffolk County government test positive for COVID. 
So our entire senior staff had to go into quarantine for two weeks. I was the only one that didn't because my office is on the other side of the floor. Okay. So wow. For two weeks, I was the only one that was in. And wow. that's when we were kind of doing the contact tracing until the numbers just started, you know, um, exponentially increasing. But it's not the easiest call. So that's why your contact tracer has to be, and the training that you go through basically tells you like, how do you paraphrase what someone is saying? How do you kind of understand where they're coming from? You know, uh, validate them and what they're saying to you. And some people just don't want to quarantine. Like, what, you tell me I got to quarantine for 14 days? No, but no. really, in, in an effort to stop the spread and stem the tide, that's kind of the only way that you can ensure that you're not going out and spreading COVID. Absolutely. And I think that's important because my, myself, I never had any symptoms. I, you know, I didn't have any fever, sore throat, anything like that. So we were testing our law enforcement. And I said, you know what? Let me go get tested for the antibodies, right? Just to see. Okay. okay. I got tested for the antibodies and I have antibodies. Okay. Meaning that I had COVID. Right. But I was asymptomatic. Right. So if I hadn't been engaging in the appropriate uh, safety measures, wearing my face covering, engaging in social distancing, washing my hands on a continual basis, I could have been infecting hundreds of people Absolutely. if I wasn't engaged in that process. And I'm healthy, so therefore it didn't really come to fruition in me. But what if I came into contact with someone that was immune compromised? Absolutely. Someone that had, you know, some of those comorbidities that we're talking about. Diabetes, I obesity. put somebody else in a very bad situation. So that's why the contact tracing is so important because there's so many asymptomatic people that are actually walking around that could be spreading uh, the virus. That's, that's interesting. Uh, just conversations that I have with people within my family, within my friend circle, my clients, we talk about it and we think back to people that fought off something in February that we thought was just the flu and maybe they came to work and they pressed through it, but they were actually a carrier. Um, and they recovered, but we just didn't know. Right. But um, thank God for you, someone like yourself, being on the front line of communication, uh, helping all of us. Um, I see your posts out there. There are multiple posts. It's multiple languages, which is really good. We live in a very, very diverse county. Uh, right. Several languages are, are spoken here. So it's right. very good that you're getting the uh, message out. And thank you for sharing your transition on this part. Um, but I got to say one more thing. Go ahead. got to go back to that. So the other thing is, and really where you have to really credit your county executive is, you know, the first numbers that we saw of individuals that were COVID positive, it was like South Hold. And, you know, that was the all first case. And it was all, all the way out on the East End. There wasn't a particular, um, you know, uh, ethnicity uh, related to that person. But as the numbers started to come in, we started to look at and we were able to start mapping where the cases were coming from. And that data is so important even in the midst of this, right? Of course. We started looking at the data and we saw exponential increases in communities of color. Got it. And we started seeing that probably a week and a half to two weeks after it really hit us. So the county executive is like, listen, we got to get testing into neighborhoods. And this is when testing still wasn't readily available. It's it. like, we got to get testing into, into neighborhoods. So let's start looking at the numbers. And then I started looking at the per capita rates for each of the communities. And that's when we started to set up our hotspot testing sites. So we set up our first site in, on April 8th in Huntington because that was the 100th 
Huntington was the first place where you saw an exponential increase. Okay. And then from there, we set up hotspot testing sites in Brentwood, where you still see a continual increase in the numbers. So it's um, Huntington, Brentwood, Amityville, Wyandanche, Riverhead, Corum, and now we have on the East End, East Hampton and Southampton. But that initiative was so important to start so early on. We started seeing on the state level that they started talking about communities of color, but that was like end of April, beginning of May. And what we were able to do is not only offer the testing, so the testing is important, but it's the health education piece that took place after you were tested. So we right. have a person from the county that's at each site that after you get tested, even though you don't have your results, we have a conversation with you. Assume you're COVID positive. This is yes. what you need to do. Try to isolate from the rest of your family. Wear a face covering. Check your temperature on a regular basis. The, that part as well as giving out face coverings, hand sanitizer, and then a packet of resources. And that packet of resources included information about food banks. It included information about how to make your own face covering. Excellent. It includes information about DSS, Suffolk Transit. It includes information about unemployment, information about cellular services that are giving you free gigabytes or wow. free Wi-Fi services for your children who have to participate in distance learning and you may not have Wi-Fi in your home. So I had to figure out what is the information that's going to be the most poignant for individuals that are coming to the hotspot testing sites. And then let's make sure we're doing a comprehensive. We have them captured. Let's capture them and give them as much information as we possibly can to help stem the tide and slow the spread. And that's incredible to do that on a one-on-one -on -one basis because now you're really empowering someone, not only for themselves, but now you've empowered someone to be the expert and the influencer and their family and their circle of friends. Correct, correct, correct. And we saw the difference. We started looking at the positive rate at the hotspot testing sites on April 22nd. So on April 22nd, the infection rate that we were seeing at our hotspot testing sites was 54%. As compared to the county rate, that was 40%. So really uh, what underscored the importance of or, or solidified the, the rationale to create the hotspot testing sites is that when we first started collecting the data on the infection rate at our hotspot testing sites, we started collecting that data on April 22nd. And on April 22nd, in our six communities that we highlighted, the infection rate was about 54% as compared to the county overall county rate of 40%. So we're looking at a 14 percentage point differential, which, which basically shows you that we had a higher instance of COVID positive uh, individuals within the communities of color. Absolutely. Um, and then we continue to track that on a daily basis. We've administered about 7,500 tests at this point. And now we see the infection rate at our hotspot testing sites of 27% as compared to the county of 21%. So it's gone from 14% to a 6% differential. Excellent. And being, making sure that people have access to the testing and access to the education is really important because I think that's what allowed for the differential to definitely decrease. However, we still have a higher rate than what the overall county is. No, absolutely. Um, I was watching what was happening. Um, I lost close friends as you lost close friends. Uh, we prayed for the same, some of the same people that were in the hospital. Right. And the pattern that I noticed with people that looked like me um, that were also obese, I started calling my friends. 
And one friend that I'll leave nameless, I'm calling him, not getting a call back two days, three days. Mm -hmm. Finally, he called me back and he said, um, Kev, I thought you knew I was in a hospital. I couldn't get to my phone. I'm going home now. But I'm it's left. a pattern. Um, and I lived in Chicago for nine years from 91 to 2000. I reached back to my friends out there and said, listen, you fit the profile. You must quarantine sooner versus later. I know you're not going through it right now, but it's coming for you. So please um, be really, really careful. So uh, yes. Vanessa, that dialogue on what's happened, the progression, the data, and what you've done what, on the stage leadership, county, the state, everything is incredible. But I'm going to switch to um, some of your other hats for a little while because I've been a witness to some incredible work. But let's talk about the mother hat first. In the midst of all of this, your wonderful son, Dallas, graduated from Howard in HBCU. Look at the size of the smile on your face. Talk to me. Talk to me about that, that experience. Talk to me about how you feel. I see it, but people are going to hear this. They're not going to see a smile. Got it. So, H, you, you know, right? <laughs> so I have to be honest. I really think that I graduated from Howard as well. Okay. okay? So I didn't get the HBCU experience. I went to Dartmouth, okay. which is, listen, I'm very blessed that I was able to go to one of the top schools of the country, right? So I'm Absolutely. blessed, but never got that experience. Right. So um, I really wanted it for my son. I wanted him to be around individuals that look like him. I wanted him to have that role modeling piece. And I also wanted the opportunity to raise his consciousness. Yes. And I thought that that would happen at Howard University. So he was fortunate enough to get in. But I'm going to tell you, that first semester, that was not a good semester. <laughs> well, it wasn't good from, your mother, from a mother's standpoint. And maybe the GPA wasn't where you wanted to be. But I'm sure Dallas had a good time. So this is the thing. He really, so, okay. So I'm a, uh, okay, I'm a helicopter mom. Okay. Right, I only got one, so I'm a okay. helicopter mom, and that's it. He knows it. We all good. We all good with it, okay? Because that's what I do. Okay, okay. So his bank account is on my phone. His emails are on my phone, so I can see everything that's going on. And I'm I'm seeing that he's not really hanging out a lot, but he's ordering Uber Eats a lot, right? He spent okay. a whole lot of money that first semester too. It was okay. his money, so that's okay. But okay. he spent a whole lot of money, and he really thought. So I said to him after the first semester, I said, Dallas, what? what's the problem? Like, what did you, he's like, ma, I thought like half the battle was just going to class. I was like, well, you kind of got to do the work too. Like, yeah, like a little bit. A little <laughs> you got to do the work. Yes, yes, yes. So his first semester was actually really not good at all. So okay. he had to come up with a plan, present it to myself and my husband as to what he was going to do the next semester um, to change the trajectory of his grade. Yes and figure out how he was going to, and if it wasn't a good, I said, cause I don't have money to waste. Like mommy works very hard, daddy works very hard. We don't have money to waste. So let's figure this out. So he came up with a good plan. And I have to say after that first semester, it must've been a very good uh, teachable moment and a learning lesson for him. And he did very well after that. And even with, and I'm telling, when I tell you the first semester wasn't good, it wasn't good. <laughs> and for him to be able to graduate in four years yes. without that be, with that first semester being not good, yes. it shows his steadfastness, his commitment, and also the commitment of me to make sure I stay on top of him and make sure that he completes and does what he needs to do. That's a beautiful thing. So what's the degree in and what's next? So his degree is in sports management. 
Um, so, and he loves sports. And that's, you know, that's one thing that I, you know, in our generation, I think our parents were like, oh, for you to be successful, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, mm -hmm. you have to be, and, you know, for the next generation, for, for at least for my son, and I think for this generation coming up, figure out what you're passionate about. Yes. Yes. And then try to bring that passion into a career. Absolutely. Because then that's when you're going to be happy. 85%, I think the, the, the data, the statistic is 85% of the people don't really like their job. And that's terrible to spend that much time. So your Dartmouth, your Ivy League, uh -huh. there's a Harvard study from many years ago that said they studied people when they graduated and 30 years later. Right. Um, people that got the high paying job uh -huh. and then the people that were more, that followed their passion. 20 to 30 years later, I forget the exact amount of time, the people that followed their passion actually wind up making more money and being happier. So passion is everything. And the world that Dallas is entering is very different than the world you entered and the world that I entered. Um, sports management used to be getting a job. Today, with all the technology, there's so much he can do by himself that he can create. He really doesn't need a job as much as an idea and um seeing a place where maybe athletes or teams need help to fill in that gap. Uh, the whole world, um, again, I, I said earlier that I call uh, life before COVID, the old mm -hmm. world. I consider that world over. This is the new world. Right. Um, a lot of people are thinking about going back to normal. Mm -hmm. I have no interest in going back to normal. I'm trying to prepare for the future. I'm trying to move forward right. and do what's next. So that brings us here. Right. So um, thank you for sharing that experience no with problem. his graduation. Yeah. Let's keep talking about graduation. Oh, wait, I got Go ahead. Yes. So, okay. So he does well. He gets through it. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. He had to take 21 credits to make sure he got out on time. But I was like, you can do it. And there. It's not, and listen, my thing is, is that's why I'm a parent. I'm here to support you. I'm here. So when you're choosing your classes every semester, when he went to choose his classes, I'm like, okay, call me. And we go through it together. We make, I try to make sure that he's meeting all of the milestones that he needed to meet to be able to get out on time. One was because I wanted him to be able to get on time. Two is because I don't have any more money the last four years. <laughs> but that's it. I only got four years worth of money, dude. Exactly. And I'm literally to the penny. Exactly. So that's it. When so the I money need runs you to out, get out on time. Out. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And he, and you know, the other good thing about him is he's really a good young man. Like he listens, he pays attention. And even when, you know, he graduated on time or whatever, he's like, mom, I really do owe this all to you. Like I owe you all of this because you really just helped and guided me through the process. Absolutely. And it's funny because he always, it's funny. I would be like, Dallas, do you have a paper due? Like, let me see it. Let me just, yes. he's like, no, no, the paper's done. Because he don't like me looking at his stuff because I don't correct anything. I look at it and go, so paragraph two, sentence one, don't you think you can rephrase that a little bit? You need to be a little bit more descriptive. He's like, I'm not trying to show oh, nothing. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's, that's the impetus to do it on his own so he doesn't need you to edit, correct, Exactly, because I'm not inspired. editing. That's the thing. I'm not editing the document. I'm going to talk you through it and try to get you to think. He's like, I don't have another five hours for this paper. <laughs> Got it, got it, got it, got it. As long as the grain comes out, it speaks for itself. Exactly, exactly. So, Vanessa, you said you only have one. Yeah. I beg to differ. I saw you do something special for, I don't know how many seniors, uh, BCW seniors that graduated. I saw you had 40 cars in five hours. 
how many were there and talk to me about that experience. So, you know, through the, through the Vinette's Culture Workshop, the motto is academic motivation through the arts. So okay. it's really about giving, um, creating a microcosm of life and giving them the real world tool, the real world experiences for them to develop into good people, good citizens, to have a consciousness, to think about them, to think not only about themselves, about the world they live in and how they can contribute. Okay. So that's really what I try to do in the modeling of myself as well as my teachers. So we, all of our graduating seniors receive scholarships for post-secondary study. So we're not able to have a recital this year because we can't convene and that sort of thing. And I, we just had to figure out like, what can we do that's special for all of our graduating seniors? We had eight of them. And we're like, what can we do? So we are going to have a virtual scholarship ceremony where they actually get their actual scholarships. But because we hadn't been able to fellowship, kids are used to, this is what they've been doing. Most of, most of the students of the Vinette's Culture Workshop have been there for a very long time. They used to be in there every Saturday, every Thursday, every Friday, every Saturday. So I was like, why don't we do a graduation parade? Nice. So our administrators got together and we started talking about it. But then it was like, well, I don't really want to just do a parade and drive by. Like, we haven't seen them. Right. So let's do a mini ceremony at each of their homes. Wow. So that's what we did. So I, you know, I, we reached out to the administrative, we put it together and then we said, okay, each person's going to get a lawn sign. Each person will get balloons. And then I'm like, at the, at the last class before our recital, I always give roses out to each of the seniors. So they always nice. get one long stem rose and it's presented to them by the babies, the youngest people in the world. Nice. Workshop. They can aspire. Correct. So it, it allows them to aspire. And then that's the time that I talk about the schools that they're going to. So, and then they have to talk a little bit about a little bit as well. So listen, they always have to work on their oratorical skills and all that other kind of yes, stuff. Right? Yes, but yes, do it in a way that they don't realize they're doing it. And that's yes. all good. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. I'm like, okay, well, we're not giving them one rose that everybody gets a dozen roses. So we did that. And then everybody got a t-shirt that talked about they were the 20, uh, the class of 2020. On the lawn sign, it had two hashtags. It was BCW Legacy, because now you're part of the legacy of Mary Baird. And we are BCW strong in the midst of this pandemic. We will yes. always be BCW strong. I think the graduates of this class, high school, college, I think they're the key to our future. Yeah. Um, I think they had an experience of learning to deal with disappointment early yeah. that a lot of people don't get. Uh, sometimes yeah. your best laid plans simply don't work out through no fault of your own, mm -hmm. but they've overcome it. They've stayed right. home. They've been resourceful at home. And I think it's going to make them more resourceful in the future. So that that's awesome. That's absolutely incredible. I think and then we just incredible. reached out to, after we did that, we reached out to our teachers. And then I said, okay. Then we reached out to administrative staff. And then we reached out to the Vinette ladies group because the ladies rock with us and they rock yes, with us forever. Yes, 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 yes. And literally we had 40 cars that oh went God. through. And this is the thing. So Miss Karen, who is our artistic director, her daughter was graduating as well. So she wanted to be part of it. So therefore we needed to start at her house, but then I wanted to end in North Babylon. So we okay. only did one student in North Babylon. Okay. Then from North, and literally we are traveling around Suffolk County in 40 cars. So we went from North Babylon to Smithtown, Whoa. to Northport, to Whoa. Brentwood, to wow. Bayshore, to Copeg, and then we had three that were in North Babylon and we ended in North Babylon. 
Oh my God. Oh, that's that's a full, that's why I took five hours. That's a lot that's of territory. Why I took five hours. That's a lot exactly. of territory, but a great experience and a great uh social experience for a yeah. time like this where we can't get together. Right. Um talk to me about the, the financial side. Obviously, uh from what I know, I've never attended one. I've begged my friends to give me a ticket. I've never been to the recital. But they're long, the, they're long, they're long. That's why they won't sell me a ticket. <laughs> I purchased ads in a book, but I haven't bought a ticket. So I know you guys raise, I know that's your biggest fundraiser. I know you give out scholarships every year. Yeah. What's the financial impact and what have you done as an alternative, if anything, to make up for what you didn't get from that day? So, you know, we, we had engaged in some um, fundraising activities prior to COVID. So we have some. I'm actually sending out an email this weekend to our alumni, um, to our supporters, to ask if they want to contribute to the scholarship fund. Because you haven't been to recital. So what happens is, you know, the Vedettes, uh, has a certain amount that they give to each student, but then I have people that um, contribute to the scholarship fund. So it's like, I can say, Vanessa Baird Streeter, you get $1,000, but you get $100 from Debbie Joseph, and you get $100 from so-and-so, and you get $300, and then it builds, it builds, it builds. Nice. So that's really what we are trying to, um, I'm going to be doing the outreach this week and have the virtual scholarship ceremony at the end of June, and that will hopefully take up for the shortfall of what we weren't able to come together as a group to be able to raise. And, you know, for the Vanette's Culture Workshop over the past 20, I guess I've been directing the workshop for 27 years, we have given out uh, and awarded scholarships over $500,000. That's a beautiful thing. What, what do you usually give out on an annual basis? So an, it depends on the, on the size of the class. Okay. So this happens to be a smaller class. So they're fortunate. And see, you know, the Lord orders steps. So yes. you never know why something happened. So because we weren't able to engage in all of our uh, fundraising activities, because it's a smaller class, it still allows us to be able to give more. So normally, our classes normally range between, our graduating senior classes range between, I want to say 15 to 18. And we right. normally give out about $30,000 a year. Nice, nice. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's move to a conclusion this way. Um, you know that I have the same heart for the community that you have. Uh, the thing that's behind me on my wall is my Ray Lynch Award for being um, the number one Allstate agent for giving back to the community a couple of um, years ago. Uh -huh. So fast forward, but that was my old life in the old world. Uh -huh. In the new world, I'm trying to figure out how to give back to the community and make a difference virtually because I can't uh, bring another 5,000 people to Wine Inch a uh, day in a couple of weeks this year. And I can't do some of the things I used to do. So one of the things that I want to come out of winding down with kind of the sum giving back. So you're my first guest. Mm -hmm. One of my visions, and you're going to see it unfold for the next month, is each month that I do it, I want to pick a community cause for the month. So in honor of you being my first guest, you're going to be my first community cause, and I want to virtually partner with you mm -hmm. to help you get to um, your number and mm -hmm. uh, contribute some sort of way. So I want you to do a few things for me. Mm -hmm. I want you to inc include me on the email that you're sending out to the alumni. Sure, I'm, not, I'm not alumni. Mm -hmm. um, and then I want to talk to you offline about what are the tools so people that are not a part of your alumni mm -hmm. can give. Um, okay. We're in a sensitive time in our country. Uh, we had the health pandemic that we spent a lot of time talking about. 
Um, I think I heard Steve Ballone speak yesterday or Cromwell. I listen to both of them as often as I can. So we had a public health pandemic. Now we have a public safety and we have some other overtones. And a lot of people are reaching deep and they want to do something to give back in some way. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a better uh, way to give back than supporting an organization like yours. I'm going to talk to you offline. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I'm going to um, see how I can partner with you and make sure that you guys uh, have the same year that you would have had. It's just a new world. Uh, We have to move forward and I'm happy to move forward um, with you. Um, Vanessa was there. No, absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do more with this. I never overpromise and underdeliver, so I won't get into numbers or processes. I'll talk to you right. offline about that. That's fine. Um, Vanessa, was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? You know, I just think that we have to think about, you know, as I talk to you about the unemployment numbers and the significance of those numbers is that, you know, food insecurity is going to be a particular issue for communities and particularly communities of of color. So, you know, I want people to start thinking about how do they donate to food banks or, you know, Jeff Garrett is doing an amazing job with feeding people on a weekly basis. How do you figure out you donate to him to ensure that we are making sure that our people have access to food? But one of the things I've been thinking about as the deputy county executive for community recovery is we need to start getting into a position of growing our own food. Yes. You know, when we're talking about community gardens or you're talking about a grow box yourself, so that if we ever, if there's a second wave of this pandemic, we have at least some staples in our own homes. And whether that's you have a backyard or not, or whether you create a grow box, it's important for sustainability and self-sufficiency that we have to look at an opportunity of looking at growing your own foods. And it's also for our nutrition, because if we're growing it, it's going you know, to be we good. know that there's no pesticides, no all of that other kind of stuff doesn't exist. Well, let me uh, let me speak to both of those points. Jeff Garrett is doing an awesome job. Right. I woke up today thinking it was Tuesday. I wanted to drive and make a financial contribution to him, but I didn't have a chance because it was Wednesday, not Tuesday. Right. So that's one of my uh, post-COVID symptoms that you know, right. knowing the date, <laughs> knowing the time is huge. Right. Uh, growing food, um, my nephew who joined my business with me in 2007 when I started, right. 10 years later, spun his own Allstate agency. He's all about growing food. And if you wanted to do a community garden anywhere mm-hmm. in Wyandanche, if you had a piece of property, he right. is the person that would help you. And there's a lot of people that would, would jump in if you want to um, act on that idea. Right. So you said food and jobs. Mm-hmm. As an employer, and I'm connected, it's not about me, it's about all the Allstate agents, the Allstate mm-hmm. community. How can an employer, if someone's hiring, how can they advertise their job on that virtual job board? So when you go to the virtual job board, there is, um, and I don't have it in front of me, so don't hold me to it, but there is like a tab for job seekers, and then there's also a tab for employers where you can upload the information in reference to the position that you may have open so that it will appear for people to be able to apply. So it's it's interactive and you're allowed to be able to um, upload information into um, the system so that people will know the availability of jobs. Please share that with me offline. Um, most of us as real estate agents, most of us are hiring. We're looking for people that can work uh, virtually and we want to be a part of the solution. Right. Um, the only other thing, actually, did you have anything uh, to speak of? Um, we're, we're obviously talking on a day where we're dealing with um, 
peaceful protests and some not peaceful uh, yep. throughout the country. Um, I think from my observation, I know we've had a number of protests in Suffolk County, but I think they've been mainly peaceful. Um, yes. I know me personally, I've had a lot of interactions with Suffolk County police. We couldn't do Wine Edge Day without them. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what Suffolk County has done to both prepare for things like this and to prevent um, it ever hopefully coming to our neck of the woods. You know, um, literally everybody's been on a, a million conference calls throughout the pandemic. And we have a conference call every morning, I think uh, maybe Easter. No, we were not off for Easter. So every morning since the beginning of the pandemic. And that's the 8.30 conference call and that's our OEM, Office of Emergency Management. But we have uh, all of the individuals and agencies and departments that are um, particularly um, engaged in COVID um, response. And our chief of police is on that call every morning. And we have the opportunity to talk about when, when we weren't, when there weren't protests, we had the opportunity to talk about our chief of police saying, you know, I'm in Brentwood and I see a lot of day laborers that are out and they don't have face coverings. So I worked out with the bishop of this church, the people are making face coverings and I want to be able to communicate and I want to be able to give that out. I want my officers to be on the street giving out face coverings to help stem the tide and slow the spread. Um, there were opportunities where um, police officers were going to the May Day protest, right? She want to open up the economy. I want to open up. So, you know, you want to be there to ensure that there's safety, but the police chief is saying, and I'm going to bring face coverings and hand sanitizer to make sure that if people don't have them, you know, let's make sure we give them out. Awesome. For the protests. Now there are protests. For the most part, we haven't had any particular issues in Suffolk County, right? People want to demonstrate. They want their voices to be heard. The police are standing to ensure that there is safety. Um, I think we might have had one or two arrests at one of the um, one of the incidents because they just were not abiding or following the guidelines or rules. But we've had uh, a myriad of protests, and even there, you know, they're making sure that people are safe. They're also making sure that they're coming with the appropriate PPE that you need to be able to get out to individuals. And, you know, I'm a witness to that firsthand and I know the care and compassion that's behind it. Because at the end of the day, it's about making sure that people are healthy and people are protected and they don't come down with COVID. Um, You know, our police department has done, and listen, no police department is perfect. No No. one individual is perfect. But our police department, our sworn officers have participated in anti-bias training. They have, um, on a continual basis, they, um, they, they engage in de-escalation tactics that are not similar to what that tactic was that was used um, with our brother. Um, and it's a continual dialogue. The, uh, the, the commissioner of the um, police department meets with community-based organizations on a continual basis. And those conversations are not necessarily easy conversations, no, right? No. They're not easy conversations. People are bringing up issues, concerns, what you need to do, pushing, pushing, pushing. But at the end of the day, even in, re- in relation to race relations, the conversation, the dialogue, the opportunity to exchange ideas, initiatives, concerns is kind of what helps to break down those barriers, the misconceptions and preconceived notions that people have about the other. Absolutely. I would say that our police department has been really open to having those community dialogues. Has everything been perfect? No, it hasn't been perfect. But I know that at our leadership level, 
That is the intention, is to ensure that we are community policing. We engage in relationships with our community. You don't just come in and you're just um, there to be enforcement. And that is really a credit to our Deputy Police Commissioner, Risco Mention Lewis. Absolutely. I've worked, I've worked closely with Risco Mention Lewis. I've worked closely with Steve Ballone. And I believe it was Chief Kelly that always, Lieutenant Kelly that always came in with us to meet before Wine Dance Day. He would always talk about um, what the safety concerns were in advance and what we could do to communicate to prevent various things. And all my experiences were always good. I'll never forget my first Wine Dance Day. Um, two days before that Wine Dance Day, four people were killed on Davidson and Wine Dance. It was a drive-by. I didn't call into the county to ask anything. Steve called me and Steve said, hey, Kevin, I'm just calling to tell you this. This is what happened. It happened in Wine Ranch. There's no Wine Ranch people involved, but we have a handle on it. And it was Thursday and people were nervous because Wine Ranch Day was that Saturday. So I asked Steve one question. I said, Steve, are you still coming to Wine Ranch Day Saturday? He said, absolutely, I'll be there. And I said, I'll be there then. And I was able to tell everyone that followed the page I created, Wine Ranch Family Day, that Steve was coming and it's going to be all good. Right. Fast forward to that first one where we had 500 to 1,000 people to last year where we exceeded 5,000 people. Um, the police department, they have a massive presence. They're in the park. They're eating food. They're letting people do their thing and enjoy it. And when it's time to shut down, which we never successfully closed exactly at 6 o'clock, <laughs> there's a way to, like, walk people through without escalating it. Uh, probably the... Um, only thing I didn't get to do in my leadership role in the committee is one idea that I always had and didn't get to act, act on is I wanted to host a community versus police basketball game. Because okay. I think it's an opportunity uh, when we can do that safely with social distancing in the future. Mm -hmm. I think it's a chance for people to meet out of uniform and just be people and have fun. I know that uh, Kimberly Jean-Pierre, she had some police play and something that she did in mm -hmm. um, and Amityville, but it's always good to be able to call you by name right. before something escalates and to have that relationship. So yep. um, I'm saddened by what happened in, yep. in Minneapolis, obviously, but I'm always hopeful because of you know what we have and what we're working on towards going forward in the future. Agreed. And I have to say there's, um, you know, you have school resource officers that work within the school districts and we have Dara that works within our school district. And I can just tell you, Dara is amazing. Like I also, I forgot to talk about, I have this um, initiative called Smart Start Suffolk. And that's for our younger people from the ages of zero to five nice. to give them the tools that they need to be able to come into school and be ready for kindergarten. And I have trainings. Dara's at all the trainings. And these are educational trainings. Dara's at all the trainings. She comes to the meetings, the CET team, which is a community engagement team for the Wine Dam School District. She attends every one of those. When we do our um, um, uh, reading with the Barber, uh, Barber Beauty and Books, she comes to that as well. She sits at the barbershop. We have them read poems and then they snap afterwards after wow. they read the poem or they're reading the book. And she's always the one that's reaching out to say, okay, Vanessa, what's coming up? What's next? What's next? Yes. yes. Wanting to be engaged in the community. And that's the people that you need policing your community, understanding the community. There's so many times that police officers are going into communities, don't understand. And that's why things get to a certain level. 
when you are known in the in the community, you know, somebody might try to do something. It's like, no, that's that's police commissioner so and so, or that's absolutely so. You can't do that. It's absolutely, absolutely, it makes a difference. Right, it makes absolutely. a difference. Vanessa, thank you for coming, being my first guest on Wind Down with Kev. Let's toast Cheers. conclusion. All right. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk you. offline. Please give me the information um, for the virtual job board and uh, include me in the effort for the uh, for Vanessa for the fundraiser. I want to be a part of that effort. I sure will. Okay. I thank you so much. And I thank you. I have to say to you, I thank you for your leadership. All that you do, you do it in such a cool way. You do it in a way that's uplifting to the community. Um, and I just have to say that, and the people that you surround yourself with have the same ideology as you do. So I just am very thankful to you. You're always doing something positive. You reach out to me like, oh, I got a fundraising um, idea. How does this work for the Vanettes? How does this work for the community? So I just really appreciate you. And listen, I credit your parents for instilling in you and giving you those yes, good genes to be community-centric. So I do appreciate you and love you, brother. Thank you. You take care. Good talk. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Wind Down with Kev. You can find Kevin Spann, the insurance guru, on Facebook at AKS Insurance, Instagram at Kevin Spann underscore insurance guru, and on Twitter at Kevin Spann Guru. Have a topic you would like to discuss or a guest you would like to see on the show? Send Kevin an email at Kevin Spann at allstate.com.